Last Sunday, I shared with you from the journals of Jim Elliott this amazing statement that this missionary made. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. You know that Jim and his four missionary partners were all murdered in an attempt to reach the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And so you have to say, well, how was that God's best? I mean, he was murdered by the very people that he was trying to reach. And of course, what we have to do is follow the rest of the story. Because his wife and the widows of the other men who were murdered continued the mission. And here is Elizabeth in her later years, the wife of Jim Elliot, who lived amongst the people that actually murdered her husband and the other men. Eventually, these women won many to Christ and began a church. And Elizabeth Elliot wrote one of the greatest missionary books in all of history, Through Gates of Splendor. And what God did amongst that tribe through these women, that was God's best, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. But we have to go a little further. In two weeks, one of the missionary speakers that we will have with us is Bill Vasey, one of our keynote speakers for the conference. When he was just a a young person in the 1950s, he read the story of Jim Elliott and the others who were martyred. It so inspired Bill Vasey that he decided he would go into missions. And God eventually sent him down to Guatemala where he reached the Quiche people in Guatemala and translated the entire Bible into Quiche. And now today there are thousands of believers amongst the Quiche. Would you agree with me that was God's best? But we have to go a little further. What we are now doing as a church in Guatemala is connected with Bill Vasey's work with the Quiche. So I want you to think about this. There's a direct line from Jim Elliott to Elizabeth Elliott to Bill Vasey to Bethel Baptist Church in Marquette, Michigan. How many of you would say that's God's best? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. By the way, I want to just stop here and say to you, be very, very sure that you expose yourself to all that God has for us in this missions conference. These are going to be extraordinary servants of God that the Lord is sending to us, outstanding believers. And God wants to impact our lives and our church in a great way. And I would very much encourage you to begin to pray about it, make a commitment to be here, and say, Lord, I want to allow you to do in my life all the things you want to do that weekend as you are sending these servants from all over the country. I purchased my ticket for the ethnic dinner on Saturday evening today. 
and I encourage you to do the same. You see, it is absolutely true that God always gives His best to those who leave the choice with Him. And the question for us is, how do we leave the choice with God? And that's what we want to see this morning as we turn today to Genesis 46 and we continue the message we started last week on God's guidance. Now, you recall that one essential thing that now is left in the life of Jacob and Joseph and their family is for the family to move from Canaan down to Egypt to fulfill God's plan. To do this, Jacob has to recognize the will of God, and he has to accept God's guidance. And what he does shows us how we leave the choice to God so that he can guide us into his very best. Now you remember last week we saw the first principle about God's guidance that God wants to guide believers into his will. He has saved us for that very reason. And now this morning we want to continue and we want to see that God wants us to meet the conditions for his guidance. And I just ask you to open your Bibles with me to Genesis 46. It's about page 46 in the chair Bible. Let's just take a moment, shall we? And let's pray together before we read God's Word. Lord, you saved us that we might know your will, do your will, and experience the best that you have. Lord, you long for that to be true in every child of God. But there are conditions. And the Bible makes those so very plain. They're not beyond our reach. They're right here revealed to us. Show us now how we leave the choice with you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Look with me, if you would, at verse 1 of Genesis 46. So Israel, the second name that God gave to Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now, you know what this is that I've just read? 
It is conditions for God's guidance. What Jacob does here is the way that God guides all of his children. It is the way that God guides you and the way that God guides me. And what we can do is just take a look at an overview of it. It involves worship, the Word of God, the saving presence of God, and obedience. Now, I want to ask you, as you look at that, what do you see? What do you see? Well, isn't the will of God ultimately about Himself? Don't you see that? That God's will is ultimately about Him. The will of God is not primarily, uh, show me who to marry, what school I should attend, what job I should have, how many kids I should have, how easy it is for us to say, Lord, just show me those things, and that's all I want. But the will of God is far different than that. The will of God is ultimately about God Himself. It is about having Him in our lives. It is about knowing Him and living for Him. Didn't Jesus say this very thing when He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. You see, this is about God Himself. Now let's look at them for just a moment, one at a time. Let's look at the first one. Verse 1 says that Israel, his former name was Jacob, journeyed to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God. Now we know that sacrifices were a form of worship for the Old Testament people of God. They were how they worshiped the Lord. When they brought their animal sacrifices and sacrificed them on an altar, it was their way of showing their love and their devotion to God. Now we have to take a moment here and see something very significant. Beersheba was a very, very significant place. It was the very last stop on the way out to Canaan. And so I want you to follow what Jacob is doing here. Before his final step, and he leaves the promised land behind, which he was so unsure of, Lord, are you really calling me to do this? He takes a stop in Beersheba, and he worships God before taking the final step. Now you may know from reading the book of Genesis that Beersheba was also a place where Abraham, his grandfather, had worshipped the Lord. It was also where Isaac had built an altar and Isaac had worshipped the Lord. In fact, the altar here that Jacob built may well have been a refurbishing of the altar that his father Isaac had built. Here's something else we need to understand. Not far from Beersheba is the very place where God had appeared to Jacob and promised he will be with him. You remember that night where Jacob had this amazing dream and 
And this artist who has given us this painting reveals it for us so clearly. Jacob saw in his dream a ladder stretching up to heaven and the angels were ascending and descending on the ladder. By the way, we would have expected them to be descending first, right? And ascending. But they were ascending and then descending. What God was saying to Jacob is, Jacob, I am here with you in this very place. And you may remember the next morning that Jacob awakened, and this is what he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now let's put it all together. Jacob went to Beersheba to a place where he knew he had met God. And he went to a place where he knew God had revealed himself. There was an old colonial pastor from America by the name of Joseph Elliott, and he said this, Keep close to God, and then you need fear nothing. Keep close to God, and then you need fear nothing. That's what Jacob is doing. He is keeping close to God, knowing if he did so, God would guide him. This morning, as we think about worship, I want to give to you one of the greatest definitions of worship that has ever been given. It was given by William Temple, who was a Christian leader, a pastor in England. And here's what William Temple said worship is. Would you read it with me together? To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. May I ask you again, what do you see? Don't you see that worship affects every part of us? Don't you see that? It affects the conscience, the mind, the imagination, the heart, And the will. And don't you see this also that worship is about connecting with God? It is about connecting with Him in such a way that He alivens the conscience, feeds the mind, purges our thought life, opens our heart, and leads our will. And then notice, when we have met God in these ways, worship always will lead to the conclusion that we are more devoted to God's purpose. May I say to all of us today, God loves to guide people like this. Amen? God loves to guide people like this. If He is your passion... God is passionate about guiding you. God's guidance is for those who want Him in their lives. And worship 
is absolutely essential to that. Now let's notice the next thing that's involved. Second condition is the Word of God. And I want you to look again at verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and He said, Jacob, Jacob, and He said, Here I am. So notice what happens. The night after this worship that Jacob had with God, God then specifically reveals His Word to Jacob. By the way, doesn't Jacob, Jacob remind us of Abraham, Abraham? Samuel, Samuel? Martha, Martha? Saul, Saul? How encouraging it is to know that God knows our names and He knows our personal needs. I almost feel like starting here on the front row and calling out each of your names twice. But if you are a Christian... God knows you as much as He knew Jacob, and He knows your needs as much as He knew Jacob's. And in this revelation of the Word of God, in verse 3, He says, I am God, the God of your Father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Jacob, you worship the same God as Abraham and Isaac. I told them in their lives, don't go to Egypt. That was my word to them. But now I'm telling you to go to Egypt. That is my word to you. This was absolutely crystal clear, wasn't it? It was crystal clear. God's word told Jacob exactly what to do. There was a well-known author by the name of Paul Little. He wrote some classic books, Know What You Believe, Know Why You Believe, How to Give Away Your Faith. He was a very, very helpful man. I want you to notice what he said. Has it ever struck you that the vast majority of the will of God for your life has already been revealed in the Bible? That is a crucial thing to grasp. How absolutely true that is. The vast majority of what God wants us to do is right here. The hidden part is a very minimal part that has not been revealed. I want to blow your mind as well this morning with another amazing statement that to be honest with you, we don't think in these terms very often. But Pastor A.W. Tozer, who was a great pastor in the Chicago area, said this, The man or woman who is holy or joyously surrendered to Christ can't make a wrong choice. Any choice will be the right one. Have you ever heard anything like that in your life? And let me say to you, this was not only what Pastor Tozer said. Centuries before, 
In the 4th century, Pastor Augustine Aurelius said something very, very similar. Look what he said. Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Have you ever heard anything like that before? Now, why is this sound advice? Well, I want you to follow with me. If we are totally sold out to Christ, we will make our choices according to His Word. If our choices are according to His Word, those choices will be the right ones because God's Word will be guiding the things that we are doing. If we are living according to His Word, the vast majority of God's will will be done by us and God will have no problem guiding us then into the other areas of His will. So God says to us, choose without fear. Choose without fear. Listen to this. Jacob, this is my word to you. Do not be afraid. Go ahead. Make the right choice. Notice the next thing that has to line up. Number three, the saving presence of God. Look at verse four. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, why did God promise to go down with Jacob to Egypt? And the answer is because Jacob was a believer. God is with every believer. He indwells us. He is with us all the time. The next time you read Psalm 23 that talks about the Lord is my shepherd, you need to put it together with John 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When you put those two together, this is what you read. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in and out. That's what Jesus said. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in and out. So in order for us to have the guidance of God, we must have the saving presence of God in our lives. What this means is we have to be believers. We have to be Christians. We have to be saved. May I ask you, are you sure about that in your life? One of the things that I never take for granted is that everybody in the first service and everybody in the second service are saved. I never take that for granted. And salvation is an event, isn't it? Where we come to recognize that we are lost, that we need a Savior, that God has made provision for our salvation through His Son who died and rose again for us. And we repent and we turn to Christ. 
by an act of faith, we trust Him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in our lives. And now all of a sudden, the Word of God becomes new and alive to us because its author lives within us. And we begin on a journey of following that Lord. And has that happened to you? You see, if it hasn't, you can't have the guidance of God. The Lord clearly says to Jacob, I'm going with you. And why am I going with you? Because Jacob was a believer. And God's presence was in his life. Look at the next part of this. Obedience. Obedience. In verses 5 to 7, we see the final condition for having God's guidance is obedience. Jacob did what God told him to do. And I want you to notice two things about the obedience. Number one, it was immediate. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. He did immediately what he knew God wanted. And then notice it was total. He held nothing back. In verse 6, he says, it says about him, he came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, which was God's intent. And then in case we think he didn't do all that God asked, in verse 7 it ends, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Notice, his obedience was immediate and it was total. And it is a part of what it means to have God in our life, to know God, and to live for God. I began this message telling you about the Elliots. Jim Elliot, who was martyred. Elizabeth Elliot, who continued his ministry. Her book, Through Gates of Splendor, how that whole story inspired Bill Vasey, how it has reached down to our very church, and we are now in the train of Jim Elliott to Elizabeth Elliott to Bill Vasey to Bethel Baptist Church. In the providence of God, I have a video clip from Elizabeth Elliott before she went to be with the Lord. And in the video clip, she talks about the crucial place of obedience to knowing the will of God. And I want you to listen carefully to what this extraordinary woman of God has to say. Very often, young people college students, high school students come to me and they say, I really want to do the will of God. I really want to know God. Now, how do you get there? You know, they think I'm way up here on some kind of a pedestal that they've got to struggle to get to. And how did I get there? And I try to show them that I'm still right down here in kindergarten struggling the same way they are. But you do the next thing that God is telling you to do. And I say to them, are you a student? The answer is yes. Okay, I say, I can tell you what the will of God for a student is. It's to study. Now, they didn't want to hear that. <laughs> they want me to tell them something spiritual. And I say, look, 
Quit plagiarizing. Quit cheating. Quit putting off till the night before the exam you're studying. Write the paper, do the assignment, clean your room, be nice to your roommate. That's how you get to know God. You do it for His sake. And if they say to me, well, but I need to know which college to go to, and I've been asking God for guidance about this, and I have to know by next March, and this is October, and I don't know yet, so how am I going to know? And my answer usually is, God has something for you to do in October that doesn't look to you as though it has anything to do with next March. It might be, write a letter to your mother this week. It might be, make an apology to your roommate. You see, that's, I think, what Jesus is talking about right here. The one who does what I say will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Another verse in the next chapter, Jesus said, if you heed my commands, you will dwell in my love. Now, what is dwelling in his love if it's not learning to know God? You will dwell in my love as I have heeded my Father's commands and dwell in his love. What was the secret of the union between the Son and the Father? Obedience. 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 The most practical way to get to know God. The only way, as far as I know. Trust and obey, for there's, what does it say? No other way. Let's join this brother over here. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Do you see here? The will of God is about God. And when we are about God, it will be reflected in worship. Knowing and believing his word. Being sure that his saving presence is in our life. And then obeying. And when our life is about God in that way, God has no problem guiding us. No problem at all. Now, let's notice as we close this message that there's one final principle. When we obey God's will, it is ultimately accomplished. Two things happen when Jacob did what God asked him to do. The family settled in Egypt to grow into a great nation, which was God's plan all along. Look at verse 8. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel. I will not read all these names for us this morning. How about if I just read the summary, verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. And if you add the family of Joseph, it adds up to 75 as 
Stephen tells us in the book of Acts. And so now we have this fledgling nation that comes down to Egypt to prepare for God to expand them into a nation of several million. And you know that's exactly how the book of Exodus begins. But what I want you to see is this was God's original plan all along that He had given way back many, many years earlier to Abraham. Look what He said to Genesis 15, 13, and 14. Long before, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. God's plan was accomplished. Another aspect of God's plan was the entire family would be united under Joseph's care and rule. And Jacob was the last piece to that puzzle. Look at verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. By the way, look at who's leading this reunion. It's Judah. Have you ever seen a more amazing turnaround than this? Judah is the one who led in the fragmentation of the family. Now God has so changed him, he is leading in the reuniting of the family. And Jacob is the last piece of the plan. When he and Joseph embrace and they weep together, the plan is now complete. And what God had revealed to Joseph so many years earlier, the eleven stars signaling the brothers, the sun and the moon signaling the entire family, would bow down to him, come under his care, And under his leadership. And the original plan is now finally realized. By the way, as Jacob is holding on to his son who is weeping on him, why does he say in verse 30, Now let me die? And isn't it because Jacob knows God has prevailed? Through all the pain and all the sadness, God has accomplished His purposes. Not one thing had overcome those purposes. God's promises have come true, and nothing makes a person more ready to die than knowing God's will for your life has been accomplished. Would you agree with that? When you're lying on your deathbed and you are ready to take your final breath 
There is absolutely nothing that is more wonderful and more peaceful than saying, I am ready to die. I have done the will of God. Do you know the Apostle Paul died exactly the same way Jacob died? As Paul waited in that dungeon for the beheading that he knew was coming, he could say, as Jacob said, I'm ready to die. Read it with me. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Join me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. That's the way to die. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to go. And if you can't say that right at this very moment, If you've not lived that way, you can make a commitment right now to live that way in the future. If God can turn around a man like Judah, who fragmented the family, to be the one who unites the family, God can do the same in your life. But it will come through a life that is all about God. Worship, the Word of God, the saving presence of God, obedience, immediate and total. God has no problem guiding that kind of person. Let's bow together in prayer, shall we? Just before we gather around the table of the Lord and celebrate what Christ has done for us, would you take a moment to evaluate your life? And are the things in a person that God wants to guide Are those things in your life? And whatever needs to be adjusted today, make that adjustment. If you're a Christian, God is calling your name, Jacob, Jacob, Martha, 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 
Samuel, Samuel. Abraham, Abraham. He knows you personally. He knows your needs. He wants to give you his very best. But you have to leave the choice with him. And the way you leave the choice with him is what his word has revealed to us today. Would you say to him, Lord, I'm leaving the choice with you. I'm meeting the guidelines that you have called for. I am joyously and graciously surrendered to my Savior. I will not make choices that offend my beloved. Oh God, here I am. Here I am. We pray in Jesus' name.